Alright, good morning everybody. As you find your way back to your seat, make sure that you have a bulletin insert. I want to encourage you also, if you don't have a bulletin insert, to grab a Bible in the back. This morning I will be referencing other passages of Scripture and it will be helpful to at least have some sort of context and so you're not just relying on my voice. That You'll have your Bible and you'll be able to flip and to turn to different spots to help you uh, understand what it is that I'm preaching on. For those of you that are new with us or relatively new with us or just forget in general, which happens all the time, we are going through the book of 1 Timothy. It's a New Testament letter written to a man in a city known as Ephesus, Timothy. It was written to him by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to him to help him understand how he should exercise his authority in the life of the church in the city of Ephesus while Paul is away from him. So it's a very instructive letter, especially for churches like ourselves, as we are beginning and slowly starting to incorporate biblical practices for a church. Could not think of a better text for a church like our own. And so, that just gives us some frame, uh, or a context for what we're looking at, and um, I'm looking forward to preaching this morning. This morning, our text is 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, and I will read God's Word, and then begin. Hear thou the reading of God's Word. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. My favorite football team as a kid was the Minnesota Vikings. And growing up in South Florida, watching the Minnesota Vikings was rarely, if ever, a possibility. In fact, the only time that I had the opportunity to watch the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm talking five, six years old, we're, not, you know, we're talking little, I became a Dolphin fan shortly thereafter this, but when I was five or six, the only time I got the chance to watch the Minnesota Vikings was Monday Night Football, a nationally broadcasted television show, and the Minnesota Vikings were playing the Cincinnati Bengals. 1989. Now, there was a problem with this, though. And the problem was a family rule. You see, on school nights, which Monday nights would include school nights, I had to go to bed at a certain time. I had to be in bed by 8 o'clock, right at the same time Monday night football was starting. you got to understand, as a six-year-old who wanted to watch the Minnesota Vikings, this was incredibly difficult for me to understand. In fact, I was infuriated by this. I don't recall what I experienced, but I can tell you now, if you were to tell me you can't watch, let's say, my favorite team right now, the Florida State Seminoles, I would be very, very upset. I haven't changed much since I was a six-year-old, okay? I would be upset. See, I didn't understand the rules that my parents were implementing into my life. And there are times in our families when we had rules that were implemented to us that were difficult for us to understand and to embrace. At times like this, 
It is wrong for parents sometimes, especially if the rule is really uh, severe. In the case of this football, it wasn't. But sometimes there are rules that are really difficult for kids to understand that parents kind of just flippantly just say, you'll understand when you're older. And if we're honest, with those difficult rules to understand and embrace, if our parents just flippantly say, you'll understand it when you're older, it is very difficult. It's not only difficult to follow the rules, but it's very difficult but not, because now we're going, I don't even know if I trust my parents. Why are they implementing this rule? There's this challenge of authority. When parents make statements like this, it's not good. So parents on rules for the family that are difficult to understand should get to the kids' level and give them an understanding of why the rules should be followed. If they can't, Okay, that's fine. This is the case with the family rule that Paul is instituting in the life of the church today in 1 Timothy 2, 11-15. These rules that we're going to encounter in this study and in these verses are certainly a hot topic in the church today. It's hot because we live in a culture that despises anything that differentiates anything between a man and a woman. It's hot because it's also been neglected and ignored in the church. Like a parent who explains away a rule by saying you'll understand it when you're older. This leaves people confused, frustrated, and even doubting the authorities that communicate and apply these rules. But I want to say it's also hot because these rules have been misunderstood and therefore misapplied in the church and has resulted in a lot of abuse and as a result of that abuse, a lot of hurt. And so this morning, we're not going to run from the subject in these verses out of the fear of what our culture might think of it. The reality of the church of Christ is that our church is not subject to the culture and its norms, but rather it is a church that is subject to the Word of God. And therefore, we must teach what His Word says, even if it is offensive to our world. Of course, we're not going to ignore the subject either. Rather, we're going to study the rules so that we might come to an accurate understanding of what Paul means by these words. So that one, we aren't abusing, and number two, aren't hurting those in the church. What we seek in doing this, and in looking at the family rules, is its health and its flourishing. By studying this, we are going to see the family rules bring about health and the flourishing of God's church. And so to help us get to where we want to go, we're going to study three aspects of this text. Three aspects. The rules, the reason, and the responsibilities. So if you have the outline, those are the three different aspects of this text that we're going to look at. So let's look first at the rules. We read Paul's rules for women, starting in verse 11 and then continuing in verse 12. He says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Paul, as you can see, gives two rules in these verses. The first rule is that women are to learn quietly with all submissiveness. The second rule is that they are not permitted to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, on the surface, it might seem obvious what Paul means by these rules, but we must be careful to not jump to conclusions. We need to look deeply at what Paul is saying. 
We'll look at these rules one at a time. First, we're going to look at the rule in verse 11. That is, that a woman must learn quietly with all submissiveness. This may seem surprising to you that this first rule is actually a liberating rule for the women in the church. But it is. Jewish and Greek cultures in the first century, which dominated the area which Paul was writing this letter, considered women to be mentally inferior. At best, they judged women's education to be a waste of time, and at worst, a cause for temptation. Thankfully, Paul did not agree with the sentiment of this culture. And he, in fact, encouraged the women in the church to learn. While this liberating rule may have been missed today, it wouldn't have been missed then. And it would have been scandalous to the people reading it. We should be thankful that Paul gives us this rule. But he continues this rule, and I'm going to continue to help us understand what he means. He says that women are to learn quietly with all submissiveness. Here's where our blood pressure begins to rise. Is Paul saying that women are to be silent in church, to not speak at all, to blindly submit? No. Simply put, the answer to that question is no. One commentator writes that this is most likely to mean a quietness of demeanor. This is largely based on the Greek word that Paul uses for quietly. In essence, a quiet demeanor is one that doesn't disrupt the authoritative teaching taking place in the church. If you've ever taught, you know the difficulty of teaching when someone disrupts. So Paul is simply saying, don't disrupt the teaching that's going on. But of course, on top of learning quietly, he adds that women are to do so with all submissiveness. That is, they were to respect and submit themselves to their elders. While submissiveness seems offensive to us and to our pride today, it is not something that is specifically only for women. In fact, submissiveness is something that is encouraged for everyone in the church. If you have a Bible, you can look with me at Hebrews 13.7, and you can see in this particular verse that the, the author of Hebrews says this, Obey your leaders, and he's writing to the whole church, Obey your leaders, and get this, he says, Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Therefore, this first rule to learn quietly and be submissive all to the church elders is to be kept not only by women, but by men as well. This is not offensive in the gender-specific way in our terms. Don't be disruptive. Submit to your elders. That's what Paul is saying in verse 11. But there's a second rule that Paul addresses in verse 12. When he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. I want to state to you from the outset what I believe Paul forbids in this statement. And then I'm going to demonstrate to you how I believe that is true. Here's here's what Paul means by this. Paul does not permit a woman to make authoritative instruction in doctrine during church. I'll say that again. Paul does not permit a woman to make authoritative instruction in doctrine during church. Now here's why I say this. There are times in the New Testament when a woman teaches a man. Recall in Acts 18 when Priscilla and her husband Aquila go to Apollos in the city of Ephesus, the very city that Paul is addressing right now. She and her husband pull Apollos aside and teach him correct doctrine. There is no mention of Paul ever criticizing Priscilla pulling Apollos aside and teaching him correct doctrine. 
Also, Paul talked in 1 Corinthians 11 about female prophets and the way that they properly prophesy in the church. Again, this is not for women to be quiet and muzzled in a church because there's other texts in, in the New Testament that Paul has written that suggests that women are to speak in church. Also, Paul declared that all Christians have gifts and they must exercise these gifts for the common good, knowing that one must often speak to utilize their gifts. Therefore, we must not see that Paul is forbidding women from ever teaching men in general. For if he were doing that, he would contradict himself. Rather, we must see this rule as prohibiting something else. We come to understand what this something else is, is when we note the twofold reality of the, of the prohibition that Paul gives. First, I do not permit a, a woman to teach one. Number two, exercise authority over, over man. When we see this twofold reality, what we are seeing is the actual uh, role that have been given to the elders of the church, the overseers. If we consider what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, if you have a Bible, it literally is the next thing that Paul mentions in this letter. When we see what he says, he says, if anyone aspires to be an elder or to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. And I want you to see this, the twofold reality of this, of this task. He must be above reproach, character. The husband of one wife, character. Sober-minded, character. Self-controlled, character. Respectable, character. Hospitable, character. Able to teach. Competency. And role. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And now note what he says in the next verse. It's an exercising of authority. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he also care for God's? Did you hear that? Do you hear how Paul is unfolding the reality of an elder teaching and exercising authority? This is the role of a God-ordained, godly elder. Not just any man. Women, if you hear this, hear this clearly. This is not a call to submit yourself to all men. This is a call to submit yourself to godly men. Godly men. If a man is abusive, you run. You run. Nevertheless, we must see that this prohibition is in relationship to the nature and the role of, the, of, of an elder. This twofold reality. In chapter 5 of his own letter to Timothy, he does it again. He says, let elders, chapter 5 verse 17, let elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, and especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So the elders of the church are the ones who have been called by God to teach and to rule. This is their task. A task given to men in authoritative settings. What is an authoritative setting? When we are gathered together as a church. Corporate worship. So when Paul says what he does in verse 12, what he is saying is that he is prohibiting women from making authoritative instruction in doctrine during church. That's the rule. Sometimes rules are hard to swallow. And that's why we need a reason. So in verse 13 and 14, we find the reason that Paul gives for the rule implemented in the church. Look with me at verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not 
deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. What is Paul doing in these verses? Well, in these verses, Paul is going all the way back to the opening chapters of the Bible, particularly Genesis 2 and 3. And in this, he is providing for us the reason for the rule he has just given. The reason he gives is in regards to birth order and in relation uh, to the deception of Eve. Indeed, these are strange. Strange reasons for the rule he has given. But once again, let's study it so that we might have understanding. Let's look first at verse 13. Adam was formed first. Unlike today, birth order has mattered throughout history, especially a firstborn son. Throughout most of history, including the culture Paul was speaking into, the firstborn son in every family had a different role and a greater responsibility than any other sibling. This doesn't mean that the firstborn was better. It doesn't mean that he received greater things in the sense of, oh, wow, he's to be revered. If we think that, we're reading our culture into theirs. So when Paul refers to Adam as being formed first, he's referring to him as the firstborn of all humanity. And because of that, Adam had specific roles and responsibilities that he had in his life. If you flip to Genesis 2, 15, you begin to see the roles and responsibilities that was given specifically to Adam. He was to work and to keep the garden that God had placed him in. He was to name the animals in that garden. He was also to refrain from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. Eventually, we read that God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And when he saw this, by his grace, he brought Eve out of Adam. When Eve was created, Adam now had another role and another responsibility, that of a husband and a teacher. For he had to love his wife, to be fruitful and to multiply, but he also had to teach her how to tend the garden and what it meant to refrain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For these were roles and responsibilities given only to him. So in verse 13, we see Paul rooting his reason in the first principles of creation. That man was created first, and because of this, he had certain roles and responsibilities to perform. And this is important for us to see. The Bible clearly distinguishes the difference between a man and a woman. That there are certain roles and responsibilities that men and women play in life. This doesn't mean that a man is better than a woman, or a woman better than a man. It means that both are made in the image of God and both reflect the image of God as they utilize their God-given roles and responsibilities. As we look to verse 14, we see that Paul adds some color to this reality when he says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, many have misunderstood and misinterpreted this verse as saying that the woman was more gullible than man, not as wise, or even had a smaller capacity for learning. Essentially, people have thought women are stupid. It has been suggested that women had smaller brains back in the day. We know that not to be the case. And I don't think Paul believed that either. I don't know why Paul used these words the way he did, though. I got to admit It is very strange language. Perhaps it was common at that time, but for our ears it is confusing. So let me help you explain what I think Paul is saying in these verses. I believe Paul is getting at the reversal of gender roles and responsibilities in verse 14. 
Recall, it was Adam's role to teach the law of God to Eve because he was formed first and he was the one who received the law, the very requirement to refrain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was his responsibility, his job to teach Eve these things. Yet he failed to do that. If you know the story of Adam and Eve, it was Eve who was the one deceived by the serpent. And then she turned to Adam who was with her and gives him the fruit and he ate of it. After Adam ate of it, God comes to them. In hiding they were. And do you know what God first said to Adam? Genesis 3.17. Do you know the very first thing He told Adam? He says this, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Note the very first thing that God said to Adam after he disobeyed. Because you listened to the voice of your wife. It was Adam's role. It was Adam's responsibility to teach Eve the commands of God. Not for her to teach him. Indeed, we often look at this phrase in verse 14 that Adam was not deceived as being something that paints Adam in a more positive light than Eve. That this is smearing Eve, but I w- I'm here to tell you this is not true. If anything, this statement paints Adam in a worse light because as Christians, we don't say that we inherit Eve's sin. No, we say we inherit Adam's sin. Adam was the one who had the role of teaching his wife God's law. He was the one who was supposed to do it, but he did not. And he allowed the serpent to deceive Eve and then listen to her as she told him that the fruit was good. In this we see the reversal of roles and responsibilities that was given to Adam by God. And for that, all hell broke loose. So let me put the reasoning for Paul's rule in a tight phrase so that you can take it home with you. God has always given godly men the role and responsibility to teach and exercise authority in His church. We see this from the Garden of Eden throughout church history. God has always given godly men the role and responsibility to teach and exercise authority in His church. That's the reason, Paul says, in verse 13, for the rule that he's implemented. So in the first four verses in our text, we've seen Paul's rules for the church and his reasoning for them. And I love the logic of Paul because it's helpful. This leads us to the third aspect of our text, the responsibilities. Many of you are wondering, okay, I can get behind that, but where does that leave me? How am I as a woman responsible? Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with (laughs) self-control. I don't have it easy this week, guys. What is going on with Paul in these verses? (laughs) Saved through childbearing? If she continues in faith and love with holiness and self-control? Once again, we have some weird wording by Paul. Again, I don't know why he phrased it this way. But ultimately, I believe Paul is continuing in this verse, emphasizing the gender roles and responsibilities that have been given to men, and of course in verse 15, women. In this verse, Paul lays out the God-given responsibilities given to women. So let me unpack this first so that you can see what he means by this. And I'm going to do this in two ways. I'm going to tell you what he's not saying, 
And then I'm going to tell you what I think he is saying. So first, what is he not saying in verse 15? Paul is not saying that a woman is capital S saved by childbearing. I'm going to get that to you right away. He is not saying that a woman who doesn't give birth will not be saved. First off, the term that Paul uses for salvation or for saved in this is sosthai. I can't, I'm not Greek. Sosthai. This, this can mean to restore to health, to deliver, or to rescue. Paul, by using this word, could very well have been referring to something other than being saved from our sin. I also know this because in 1 Corinthians 7-8, Paul commends certain women to remain unmarried or, wid- or widowed, saying that it is good for them to remain single as I am. You see, if Paul believed that a woman's salvation comes through childbirth, he would never have recommended that a woman remain single. Therefore, Paul doesn't mean that a woman is capital S saved by giving childbirth. Moreover, this sort of reasoning, salvation by childbearing, is not even consistent with Paul's own understanding of salvation and how we as Christians receive salvation. Salvation, according to Paul, always comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's where I must camp for a moment, leaving the sermon, because this is so important. So many think that salvation or eternal life comes as a result of our own works or our obedience to God. An often heard refrain depicting this view is, well, if they were a good person, God will take care of them when they die. But my friends, this is not true. Salvation comes to us by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was the only one who lived the life we were required to live. A life of holiness and righteousness. A life that says, I, I hold God worthy above all things, and I love my neighbor as myself. It was Jesus who did these things in His life. Loving God with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength, and His neighbor as Himself. Throughout history, we as Christians have attested to the truth that Jesus is the one who has done this through His life. And in truth, He's the only one capable of doing this. But then we also see in His death, salvation demonstrated for us. For He laid down His life as a ransom for the children of God who were enslaved by their sin. Dying a sinner's death for those who were sinful. So that those who were sinful might become righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And it is this gift this ransoming from our sin that comes to us by His grace through faith. Salvation comes to us by grace through faith. Women, it doesn't come from the actual giving of child out of your body. What then is Paul getting at with these verses or with this phrase? I think he's saying that just like men, There are certain roles and responsibilities given to women by God that are to be exercised in the life of the church. They are to do this with faith and love and holiness with self-control. I would say that you can put faith, love, holiness, and self-control on a man as well. I have the same responsibilities as a pastor of this church to to, to do it with faith, love, and holiness with self-control. The reality of this quote is somewhat obvious biologically speaking. For of the two genders, a woman is the only one who can give birth to a child. So I believe what Paul is getting at is more of a metaphor in this. That yet she will be saved through childbearing. 
For a woman is the only one that is able to give birth to a child, biologically speaking. It is a role impossible for man to do. So Paul is referring to specific roles that only women can play in the life of the church. That when women play the roles that they are to do in the life of the church, the church thrives. So what are the roles for women in the church? Well, in truth, there isn't enough time to cover all the variations of the roles and responsibilities that God has for women in the church. I'm going to mention a few, but I want, you to, I want to encourage you to read the report that I sent out in the email to you this week. Um, for those of you that didn't get that, I'd love to tell you about that and share that email. This is a report that is very helpful, uh, laying out all the things that women can do. I hate focusing on prohibition. I want to encourage doing and operating. So I'm going to give you just a few. The first and obvious is this, that women are to be responsible for giving birth. I want you to know that this is no small role or responsibility. It is a responsibility that is given by God that mirrors God's own mothering of people. Throughout Scripture, God takes up the imagery of mothering throughout the Old Testament and in some cases the New Testament. And I want you to understand that being a mother and giving birth is a beautiful thing that reflects God's image. Do not run from mothering. But there are other roles that women can play. Women can lead in music. There are countless examples throughout all of Scripture where women are singing praises to God, writing songs to God, and leading the people in song of praise to God. Women serve in prayer. If you're zealous in prayer, women pray. Women can teach in proper settings. In my opinion, and I want you to know there's disagreement on this, but in my opinion... This means that women can teach in any setting outside the corporate worship gathering. This can mean a woman can teach a man. A woman can teach a woman. A woman can teach a child. And so those of you who feel that God has called you to teach, utilize that gift. Learn it. Learn how to do it more effectively, clearly. One of my favorite commentators in all of the Old Testament is a woman named Karen Jobes. She has greatly benefited me in my understanding, particularly of the book of Esther. If you are a woman that has the gift of teaching, may you utilize that gift. I do not believe that Paul, when he says, do not teach a man, he's not saying in general. He's referring to a particular task. So teach. Ultimately, women are to utilize their God-given abilities and their spiritual gifts in the life of the church, but in certain um, capacities. When I was a teenager, I knew um, that there were family rules that kept me from going to certain websites. I knew it. But being a rebellious and curious teenager and not really understanding the dangers associated with these websites, I went anyways. That is, until my mom caught me. I'll never forget the day when she caught me. I was upstairs gooping around with my friends and my brother and um, she called me down into the computer room. And I knew in the computer room that when my mom calls me and only me down, that we're going to have a talk. And she said, have you been visiting these websites? I said, yeah, I had. She said, you know you weren't supposed to go to these websites. Yeah, I know. She goes, do you want to know why I don't want you going to these websites? I said, why? 
And then she laid out for me all the things that have happened to her by the very images on these websites and the impact that those people had on her in relation to that. I had never heard that from my mom before. She humbled herself and told me certain things that I never knew. And you know what it did for me? I said, that's a, that's a rule I'm going to abide by. That's a rule that I now understand being implemented in my life. And by God's grace, that rule has been implemented in my life. And as a result of that, I have seen much flourishing in my own family. Because God, by God's grace, and by God's grace through my mom, implementing a rule that was difficult for me to understand, I follow it now. The rule that we just unpacked is difficult. It's a hot topic in the church. I mean, there are, there are people that I respect that disagree with what I just laid out for you. It's hard to understand. But I hope, like my mom did for me in that computer room, that what I just did, unpacking what Paul has said, laying out the rules, going through the reasons, and articulating some of the responsibilities that you too might say, okay, I can do that. And as a result, the church can flourish. May we be faithful to honor God's Word. For those of you that want to continue this conversation, I want you to know I am so happy to have this conversation with you. Uh, I don't want to run from it. I don't even want to imply that I have all the answers to. But if you want to talk, I'm happy to do that. With that being said, let me pray. Our gracious God, I ask that you would preside over this church, that we would uh, continue to be faithful to your word, that we would implement your word faithfully in our presence, but more than that, that we might be faithful to be your servants in this church, in this city, and in this world. Lord, we know that when we follow your ways, Flourishing is not far behind. And so may we follow your ways, trusting you, trusting the servants you've placed over us, that we might indeed flourish. We know all of this is possible because of Christ and his grace given to us through his life, death, and resurrection and received by faith. We'll continue worshiping him now. Amen.